Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Sam Bates. Thanks for being on the show, Sam. Thanks for having me, Whitney. I'm a huge fan of the podcast and it's an honor to be here. I'm honored that you listen and Sam and I were discussing, he was telling me he's listening to most episodes and I'm grateful for him and for all the listeners who are listening. And Sam is a co-founder and partner of Trinity Capital Group that is based in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. In three years, Trinity has syndicated or joint ventured nine commercial real estate projects that include apartment acquisitions, development, and an RV park. That's, that's impressive, by the way. Congratulations to you all. So Sam has been directly involved in acquisitions, development, and rehabilitation, disposition, and asset management of over $55 million in real estate since 2009. Sam has bachelor's in finance, a master's in personal financial planning, and an MBA. He is an avid reader, sports fan, and Christian that strives to create value for his investors, tenants, and the cities he conducts business in. Sam, thanks again for being on the show. Tell the listeners a little more about who you are, what your focus is right now, what you're involved with, and we'll dive in. Yes, definitely, Whitney. Like you said, I have a background in finance, and then I got an MBA, and I initially got a consulting job. After I graduated with my MBA, the stock market, I'd planned on going and being a financial advisor. And after the stock market crashed, I just couldn't trust it. So I started working at a consulting firm. I didn't really enjoy the job. And I know it wasn't long term. And I'd always been interested in real estate. And that initial interest just got me started to invest in 2009, 2010. And it just catapulted us or catapulted me into training capital. Right now, we're working on two developments. Um, one's a 252 unit, another's a 48 unit. And then we're about to get another acquisition, which is 137 units under contract. Wow. Okay. A lot to talk about. So awesome. So tell me a little bit about your all's company, because it sounds like you all are acquiring multifamily and then you're also developing. Is that ground up? Yes, it's ground up. Initially, me and one of my partners, we started looking to buy multifamily back in 2014 or 15. We had worked together at the same consulting firm. So we had the same values, morals, work ethic, and we felt like it was a good partnership. And we kept getting beat out or brokers were telling us we didn't have any credibility because we hadn't closed the deal. So after we kept banging our head against the wall and it seemed like we were just repeating the definition of insanity, Michael, who's the second partner, he knows Daniel through his church. And Daniel has been a home builder and developer for 15, 20 years. And we decided to do ground up development. If we couldn't actually buy an acquisition, we'd create one. And it was actually a mixed-use development. Daniel had already had the land that he was going to build, a 10,000-square-foot retail space for Keller Williams. And Jim is Anytime Fitness franchise. And then he had a lot of land on the backside of it. He didn't know exactly what he was going to do. And we said we could structure the deal, the company, raise funds. And that's kind of just where it started. Okay. So 252-unit development. Can we talk about that deal son? Yes, definitely. Yeah, so where's that at? That's in Weatherford, Texas, which is about 20 minutes west of Fort Worth. Okay, okay. 
And so I guess give us some details about that property, maybe the tops of unit, top of the area, or whatever else you can, and we'll go from there. The area itself is a small community. It's probably about 30,000 people, and it's in Parker County, which is the quarter horse capital of the world. So it's kind of on the edge of large cities, and it has that country feel. So we started doing some research. We found land, and we had been through the development process before with a Kerrville development and a couple others. So we had a third-party market study done to see if the demand was there. And it came back and showed that there's massive demand. And we thought that there would be just knowing the demographics of the area. So it's going to be a class A property. It's going to have one, two, and three bedrooms. There's not as many three bedrooms. It's more heavily one and two bedrooms just to feed to match tenant profile of the other complexes. But it's right around the high school and probably less than a mile from elementary and junior high. So it's in a perfect location right off the interstate. And we went through the long process. We went almost down the route of HUD financing just because there's so many benefits to getting a HUD loan. And we were approved, but they gave us 13 contingencies. And after they gave us those contingencies, we felt like better for us and for the investors just to go down the traditional construction route. So after we got that approved, now we're just going through the zoning and dealing with the city. And as of today, we're having our last zoning meeting. So it should be approved and we get the permits and we can start breaking ground in the next week or two. Nice. Well, that's exciting. And I guess it's a big decision, seems like to me, like say, okay, we're going to go do some ground up development if I'm used to, you know, just purchasing multifamily, say some type of value add, class B and C. And so I guess fill us in a little bit on like just that decision to say, okay, maybe we don't have much deal flow that's worth looking at anyway and just multifamily. So we're just going to go start our own development. And so how did you make that decision? Say, okay, we're going to go do this and start development as well. Well, that's basically where the company started was as a development company. And I wouldn't have been able to do it on my own. Luckily, I've surrounded myself with a couple of partners that have expertise in areas I don't, or their skills are very complementary to mine. And with one of my partners, he has 15, 20 years of development experience. So we felt very comfortable moving in that route. And we've already done we did a 60-unit development. We did a 48-unit development. We've done a 200-acre lot development. So development's very familiar with us, and we like going and be able to create value and create opportunity for tenants, investors, and even the city that might not be there. And actually, we're fortunate because after our project was initially approved with the city, they put a moratorium on multifamily developments. So will be one of the last developments in that city for the foreseeable future. So, so we should do very well. Nice. Well, congratulations on that. Tell us some things about development that I, I wouldn't even know to ask you. It's not my space, but like get us started and like thinking through, is this something we want to pursue? Maybe some reasons why we should, and then let's maybe some of the due diligence that's, you know, obviously different than if you're buying a class C property. I think some of the reasons why it's just taking an idea And if you have an idea or if you know where land is and seeing it from the starting point to the end, it can be very rewarding. Like I mentioned, like to add value to all the people that we're associated with and our stakeholders, but it's also beneficial and we're being able to develop class A properties for 80, 90, 100,000, depending on the land cost and our finish out. 
in DFW and a lot of areas throughout Texas and the nation, a lot of C-class properties are at that or above. So we feel like we're getting a brand new asset that will have minimal maintenance for 8, 10, 15 years compared to a C-class property that you're having to put a lot of CapEx in on a continual basis or just having older systems, older units. There's just, it's not as energy efficient either as new developments. But there's a lot of things to consider when developing. The biggest thing is time and again through the zoning process. Every development we've done, we've had just lots of issues with zoning, just the city. If you've ever worked with city government, you know that it takes a while to do a lot of things with the city. So the timeline always is longer than what we expect. Another thing that's happened in the past is trying to get easements to different property and landowners. And that can be stressful because they can either approve it or not approve it. And if you can't get water through their land, then the development's kind of out of luck. So you're done. Yeah, exactly. And that's if it's out of the county and the city is a lot more controlled. Tell us about how a deal like this would be structured. I assume it's going to be very different than your normal a multifamily class C purchase. Yes, we structure it with a 60-40 split and we don't do a pref just because you don't see receiving cash flow for possibly two years or even a little bit longer depending on how long the development takes. And then the lease up is usually six, nine, 12 months, depending on how big the development is. So it's hard to put a pref on it. And then we always invest a significant portion of the capital up front. And we feel like we're taking on a larger risk than a lot of the investors. So that's why the split's 60-40. And then Daniel, who's one of my partners, he actually has his own custom home business. So he structures it where he gives us a fixed price for the contract. And if he is over or under, he benefits or has to eat that cost. So the investors, they're, they're never in jeopardy of having to bring more money. It would always fall back on Daniel and his company. So that might be a little bit different than how a lot of developers have structured it, but we've just felt safe that way to pitch it to investors since we've started raising capital. And what's the hold time on like a development like this? Since they are brand new, we like to have longer hold times. We project eight to 10 years. Obviously, that's going to change a lot with market dynamics. And if we get an offer, like we received an offer on the commercial development we did in probably month eight or nine that exceeded the returns we projected in year five. Well, we went through due diligence and kept it and held it for one year and one day. So we got the long-term capital gains and sold it. And investors were ecstatic. We returned a 41% IRR. So it definitely changes, but we'd like to hold long-term. Wow. Yeah. So if you can return your fifth year projections in less than a year, I can imagine you're going to move on it. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And I was going to say the type of buyer that you're going to have on a project like this. What type of buyer do you expect? For this new project, we're gearing it towards the institutional investor since it will be such a large development and it'll be relatively new. It'll still be A class. We think we can pull in somebody that's looking for good cash flow and not worrying too much about a lot of maintenance or operational issues. And now with this time in the market and how the market's been in the last 10 years, there's a lot of mom and pops or smaller companies like ourselves that could easily take down a 250 unit complex. So that the buyer we're targeting could change over the years, but that's who we'd like to target initially. Yeah. Now, I appreciate you mentioning that too. It's not something that's talked about very much about how the buyers are going to change as well. 
you know, or how they are changing. And a lot of people getting more sophisticated and building their businesses a lot stronger to be able to buy larger properties that maybe a couple of guys that wouldn't have been able to do 10 years ago. So what's the plan for your all's business going for? More development or looking for more multifamily value add? What's the plan? It's both. I think we would like to try to veer more towards value add. It's just a quicker turnaround time. It's a little bit safer. But with that being said, the market's still hot. It's hard to find value add deals. I underwrote probably 60 or 70 this year and we've only put up LOIs on five and we've only had one LOI accepted. So it's very hard to scale when you're going at that pace. So we're looking to do both, but if we had to focus, I would like to go to the value add. Okay. So how are you all looking for deals? You know, how are you moving forward in that? A lot of the deals from the land side, we have broker relations or realtor relationships and they've actually brought us the land. For the value add deals, I'm constantly talking to brokers or looking at emails from operating memorandums and just kind of getting my footprint out to as many places as we can. We have properties in Texas and one in Mississippi. I'm looking kind of all over the Southeast for acquisitions and if they make sense and if they're in the markets and neighborhoods that we that meet our criteria. So you're talking to a broker and he says, okay, Sam, what's your buying criteria? What, what do you tell him? I tell him, depending on the market, it might change, but typically we're looking for anywhere from 10 to $20 million asset that hopefully is 15% or under market rents where we can go in and just renovate and take it up to market standard. Most of the renovations I feel like now, or most of the assets right now have been renovated one or two cycles already. So we're looking at second and third generation renovations and that's not really appealing to us. We feel like we can't add that much value. So I try to get that out to the brokers where we want the deeper value adds, but it's hard because markets that we're looking in, they've just been touched so many times. Yeah. What's been the hardest part of the syndication business for you so far, Sam? That's a really good question. I think, honestly, it's been deal flow. Most of the projects, we've done nine projects, but most of the projects we've done have been projects we've created. Right now, it's just finding the right deals that work for us in the markets that we're at. And like I initially said, I've underwritten over 70 deals this year and only five made sense to us. So people are buying them, but I don't exactly understand their underwriting or I'd like to see their underwriting to see how they're going to make it the prices they're paying. So why not put out more LOIs, but offer what you think is a good price? Well, I think it's a slippery slope. When you're talking to brokers and they tell you what a whisper price is, you don't want to come and undercut significantly. Then you're going to get that reputation of always undercutting and lowballing the deal. And if you do that, brokers aren't going to talk to you. And any deal I underwrite, and especially if I talk to the broker or go tour it, I'll always give them feedback on what we think is great about the property, what we don't like, and why our price is where we're coming in at. Nice. And what kind of response? Or I guess let's back up a little bit and tell me, what are some of the biggest things that make these deals not work for you all? I think it's completely dependent on the market. I know in Texas, a lot of the counties have become very aggressive in property taxes. And it seems like some of the buyers aren't taking that into consideration. I know the brokers on the operating memorandums usually aren't taking in the new valuation. So that could change NOI by 50, 100, 200,000. That's a huge swing in value. There's some other things that will take account. I know the market has been and the rent rates have been going up significantly over the last 10 years or five years, but I don't know if I necessarily underwrite to what they've done the last couple of years because you just don't expect that to continue. And 
all the data and information I've read, everybody expects some type of correction this year, next year, or possibly 2021. So I have to weigh that in the underwriting as well. How do you weigh that in? Or can you elaborate on that a little bit? It's just taking more conservative approach to rent growth. I think some people will put 5 and 6% rent growth, which might happen, but realistically, it's, it's not realistic to be able to maintain throughout a whole period unless your whole period is very short. So just trying to underwrite the income conservatively. Well, we might not get a couple deals here and there, but it makes us sleep better at night when we do get a deal for our investors that we know their money is going to be a lot safer than what it might be if we had unrealistic expectations. Awesome. And what's a way that you all have recently improved your business that we could all apply to ours? We've recently started systematizing our business and writing SOPs, which are standard operating procedures. In the last three years, we were kind of running with our hair on fire. And honestly, I just started doing the business full time last year. I was at an energy company before that. So I was switching my time. So now we're just trying to systematize and bring in employees and hopefully be able to focus on more of the value add activities instead of some of the administrative and things that really don't add value to the company. I mean, spending time creating those have added value in the organization? Yes, definitely. And we've outsourced our bookkeeping already. And the bookkeeper we have, she's done a phenomenal job. And we haven't brought in another employee, but in the next three to six months, we plan on bringing in an admin and possibly an underwriter asset manager to take some of that responsibility off me where I can go focus on deals or raising capital or things like that. How did you all develop your standard operating procedures? How did you all, is that all from scratch or did you have some kind of template? I mean, like if I was to think about that and I already had a few partners, we're doing a lot of deals and I was, okay, we're going to develop some standard operating procedures. I mean, coming up with that from scratch seems kind of intimidating. Yeah. And it might not have been the best way to handle it, but we did start from scratch. One of my partners, he's a CPA, and then I was in tax accounting for 10 years. So we've written a lot of procedures for companies or clients, and it just made sense to take our knowledge that we had and write it out exactly how we want it and get detailed. And obviously, the procedures can vary depending on like underwriting a deal. There's going to be variations depending on the deal, but just give guidelines where somebody would understand if they came in and looked at it from scratch without any experience, they could get 70 to 80% of it underwritten where I could look at the remaining 20% to do some tweaks. I was just going to say with Daniel's experience, he was the same way. It took a while to just go through it, but we have him now where we think it's a great set of guidelines that we could give an employee. Nice. Like I said, I can see the need and why those are valuable, but like me creating them from scratch seems very uh, daunting. But I'm sure, like you said, going forward, hiring somebody, it's going to make it much faster for them to come right in and get to work. Exactly. And I'm a big opponent of reading and I've read the E-Myth several times and it's just talk and traction and all those books that just talk about processes and procedures that you have to for business to flourish. Nice. Any other books? I mean, since you read so much, anything else like that that you recommend? Any other books? I know you said Traction, The E-Myth, which are very popular and highly recommended. Anything else? I think those are both good books. The one that impacted me the most probably was Miracle Morning. I read that several years ago and it just changed really my mindset. I was not a morning person. I honestly never really read. And then going through that and just seeing the success he had I completely changed my mindset and now I'm up at five or six every morning and I do about an hour just reading, writing, affirmations, visualizations, and it's dramatically impacted 
I think me personally and professionally. Nice. Obviously, y'all are dealing with investors and raising capital too. Yes, we are. What's the best way that you care for your investors and take care of them or maybe some way that you stand out above other operators? That's one thing we're actually discussing right now is how to give the investor better experience. Right now we have, it depends on the asset, but usually we'll have yearly meetings and just get all the investors together and give a presentation on how the property is performed. We also send out monthly emails every month once the property is stabilized, isn't stabilized, or we're in the rehab process. Depending on what's going on, we might send out a once a week, twice a month. It kind of depends. And then every investor is a little bit different. Sometimes I'll talk with investors for 30 minutes a week or a month. Some investors, they give me the check and I don't hear from them again. So you just kind of have to know what they expect and go from there. And what's the number one thing that's going to contribute to your success, Sam? It could be just an avid reader or learner, or I think real estate is a very tough business. So you have to have the internal fortitude to persevere. I know when I got started out doing single family stuff, there were issues that popped up all the time and I could easily quit. And glad I didn't because it's given me an opportunity to do some things I never would have dreamed of. But I think it's just that desire to succeed and just the drive in yourself to make you succeed. I appreciate you saying that, just the internal fortitude, just the drive. You got to have it, aren't you? You're going to get kicked in the face numerous times. So you got to be able to get back up and keep going. Unfortunately, you know, we're about out of time, Sam, but tell the listeners how you like to give back. Yes, I give back in a lot of different ways. I'm actually going on a mission trip to Uganda this in less than a month. And it's going to be obviously sharing the gospel, but also it's microfinance focused. So we are helping people in Uganda create essentially banks and savings institutions, their small communities, because they don't have that opportunity there. Also give through the church that I go to and different organizations that I think are making an impact. That's the main ways I give back. I'll also help people if they have questions about real estate or if they're just beginning, they'll answer questions and hopefully get them on the right path. Great. Sam, thank you again for sharing about your all's team and what you all are up to from development to value add multifamily and tell the listeners though how they can learn more about you and get in touch with you. Well, thank you again, Whitney, for having me on and I can be reached on LinkedIn or Facebook. I don't check social media that often, but I can also be reached at my email address, sam at trinitycapitaltexas.com. Great. Sam, thank you so much. I appreciate the listeners being with us today and every day as well. I hope you all will go to LifeBridge Capital and connect with me and the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook, and we will speak to each of you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show, brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.